This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to find out more about becoming a supporting member. listening to the Dharma Ocean podcast. In the second part of this talk on the training of a bodhisattva, Reggie discusses the last five of the six paramitas, discipline, patience, exertion, meditation, and wisdom. Through examples, he shows how the truth of each paramita is not necessarily what we might think. This talk was given at the 2003 Winter Datun Retreat, held in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. The second paramita is discipline. And I was thinking of Trungpa Rinpoche today and his unbelievable discipline that this man had. And I was trying to think, you know, what, what was it about him? I think one thing was that he never took a vacation from other people. I think that um, many of us feel when, you know, we're feeling good that we can help others. And then when we're not feeling so good, then we're off duty. It's like the taxi, we put the off duty sign. But actually for bodhisattvas, there is no off duty ever. You're always on duty. So part of the discipline is actually staying with the commitment that we've made. And it doesn't mean that if you're in bed and you're sick, you have to suddenly jump up and go out and do something. But it means that when you're in bed and you're sick, there will be opportunities always to work with others and to be kind to them and to encourage them and to help them. The second aspect of discipline is never giving up on anybody. And sometimes this is misunderstood that, you know, like somebody comes to a program and they're really not uh, capable of doing it and that because of your bodhisattva value, you should include them anyway. No, it doesn't mean that. Never giving up means that you do what has to be done, but you never write them off. And a lot of times we're willing to do that with 90% of the people that we work with, but the other 10% we do, we really want to write them off. We really want to consider them unworkable. And what's being said here basically is you can't really do that. And um, the other thing is, while we're on this topic of discipline, is that no encounter with another sentient being is too trivial. And no sentient being should ever be taken for granted. Sometimes you can be in the middle of the supermarket, you can be at the checkout stand at King Supers, and you can say one word to that cashier. Maybe there's a cashier who's incredibly depressed because something has happened. And you can spend, if you see it and you're willing to meet it, you can spend five seconds with that person and you can change something. You can set something different in motion. So as a bodhisattva, you have to be alert to the continual possibilities of your life and to the fact that, think about it, how many people in this world have taken the bodhisattva vow? They don't have to be Buddhist, but I mean, I'm talking about people who have genuinely committed themselves to others. They're not that many. So you're one of those people. And naturally, others are going to come to you looking for things. 
they're going to find you. So if you have five seconds with someone, that, can, that often is all you need. Then we come to exertion. And exertion means that you have to, as, as Rinpoche used to say, you have to leap to the situation at hand. Helping others always requires a leap. You have to leap. You have to destroy what needs to be destroyed and care for whatever needs your care. You have to be willing to say no when it's inconvenient and people will hate you. And you have to say yes when people do not want to hear yes. Exertion means that you stick to the situation and you don't shy away. You don't run away from it. It's very important as bodhisattvas, you mustn't care what people think of you. You have to ignore what they think. Because if you're really helping them in the sense of presenting an alternative to their ego, most of the time they're not going to like you. And you mustn't be dissuaded by that. You just have to stick to your insight. Now, the thing is, we don't always know when we are working with others. In fact, we never know for sure what we're doing. We have our insight, but if there's any humility at all, we realize, this, you know, I could be making a mistake here. I don't really know. I mean, I think, I, I think this is needed. It looks to me like it's needed. I'm going to take a chance. But things come up. And normal logic doesn't work anymore. And the, the exertion part is that we need to be willing to take a chance. And you might get into trouble and you may wind up in jail. Honestly, it could happen. You could die, for that matter. But if you take the attitude that you're going to protect yourself at all costs, it's going to affect everything you do with people. Whereas if you are willing to take a chance when the chance presents itself, it's going to change the whole way you work with people. You have to actually help people when they're there. You have to just go ahead and do it. And, you know, of course you need to be uh, patient and you need to understand your own aggression and your own passion so that what you're doing is not based on impulse. But once you wait through your impulse, you know, impulses come up and you wait through them, then, and you can see what's needed, and you really have a sense of clarity about it, but you also realize it's dangerous and you don't really know what they're going to do with it, you have to go ahead and do it. You have to take that chance. That's part of your vow as a bodhisattva. Then we have... What's next? Patience. Patience. That's right. Patience is... um, Really, it's, it's, it's really difficult because in the Mahayana, it means letting people be what they are, taking what people are as the ground. And a lot of times people come to us and we can see, well, I like this part, but I don't like that part. Or this part is good and that part's not so good. And we have a temptation based on our insufficient maitri to ourselves to, to try to sort of convince them to, to sort of get rid of that little thing on the side there. If you could just get rid of this little trip, then you'd be fine. But patience means you have to actually start with people completely and totally as they are and work with that. 
and resist the temptation to come to any conclusions about them. And that's tricky, especially when people come in and they praise you and they're very positive. Oh, you're such a great teacher. I prostrate to your feet. And, you know, everything that comes out of your mouth is ultimate wisdom. Uh, what else do they say? <laughs> And somehow, irritating as that may be, and suspicious as we become when we hear that kind of stuff, you have to include that and you have to wait and see where it's going and where it's coming from and what you can really do with it. So patience is uh, making the mind very big. So then we have meditation. Very important uh, kind of uh, tool on the Hinayana level, but on the Mahayana level, it's even more important because on the Hinayana level, if you don't meditate, you're not going to develop. And so you're really the only person that's going to be hurt. But on the Mahayana, if your practice falls below a certain point, you're going to start hurting people and harming them by your uh, confusion, your own confusion. So... Please, as bodhisattvas, continue to train yourself in the practice of meditation. Consider that really basic. Now, one thing I have to mention, um, can I, do you mind if I refer to our conversation today? No, not at all. Okay. Well, you don't now, but wait till I refer to it. <laughs> so I asked, you know, why he wanted to, um, why he wanted to take the bodhisattva vow, and he said because he wants to come and study Mahamudra meditation. And it's okay, because you didn't, hadn't taken the vow yet, but now you're about to, so now, you're, now the pressure's on. <laughs> what I was looking for there was, I want to study Mahamudra so I can be more helpful to other people. You know, we tend to look at meditation in terms of our own development and our own meditation experiences, and once you hit the Mahayana, that's gone, it's over. And you need to do whatever practice is going to, to fit you and make you able to actually work with other people in a way that is non-aggressive and open and uh, generous. So we're not doing it for ourselves anymore, but we have to do it even more so because without it, others will be, will be the ones that suffer. And then the last one is the uh, Prajna Paramita, the last Paramita, Absolute Bodhicitta. This is, uh, joins back in with generosity in the sense that Absolute Bodhicitta means that we need to be constantly coming out of emptiness, out of uh, a mind that is open and, and doesn't have any particular agenda. We have to come out of our complete vulnerability when we work with others, out of our nakedness, out of our um, just sort of basic raw openness. And uh, again, if you're in the helping professions already and you have a, a, a helping ego, that ego needs to be deconstructed, it needs to go. It's not going to be helpful. So in terms of the commitment that you are undertaking, obviously there's not um, it's not complicated. It's simply that in each situation you are um, thinking of others and you have your eye on the other person. It doesn't mean that we still don't worry about ourselves and we still don't have our trips, but that we are um, 
we're thinking of others and we're trying to see how we can help them. And then we bring ourselves along. And one important point here is that, you know, it's, it's said that the bodhisattvas have to take care of themselves. And uh, actually Bill and I were talking about it today, this whole question of um, at what point do you, do you become sort of you're not helping anymore? And I think both of us were feeling that, you know, you can help people and you can work 18-hour days, 20-hour days. But what happens at a certain point is that your, your mind starts shutting down, actually, and you go into automatic pilot. You know, the problem with, with overwork for a bodhisattva, on one hand, it sounds good. You know, we're all working hard, we're doing our best. But it actually affects your state of mind when, when, you're not, when you've lost your own balance. And you begin to, you're hurting others, and you're not seeing what needs to happen, and you're simply doing things for the sake of doing them. And I get into this myself, and especially during a datun, I need to come back, you know, I need to come back, I need to come back to that balance. But the other interesting point is that there are a lot of times we get into situations where we are overworked and we are tired and we are sick and things really are out of balance and we had to do it to help them. And so when that happens, the minute you catch yourself, then you simply need to stop. Just completely stop whatever you're doing. The Bodhisattva path from the outside looks kind of outrageous. Because people who are bodhisattvas don't do things a normal way. There's something else that's guiding them, and they often um, appear to be rather strange individuals. And the further along in the path they get, the stranger they seem. Many people who met Trump Rinpoche, they, I mean, they couldn't make anything out of him. They had no idea, you know, who is this person? Why does he behave this way? What's going on? And even his close students, a lot of the time, couldn't figure it out. And yet there was some kind of... Uh, constant flow of blessings and compassion coming from him, even and especially in the situations that seemed the most unusual or incomprehensible, you still felt this compassion. In fact, it came out more strongly in those situations. Well, you might have to become like him. You might have to become a very strange person. And other people might not really understand you very well the further you go. And yet, what's guiding you is actually helping them. To listen to more of Reggie and Caroline's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats and online programs, and explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your journey with somatic meditation, please visit dharmaocean.org. Music is by Jeff Beale and Nawang Ketchog from the album Tibet Cry of the Snow Lion.